0: Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us in beautiful Kelowna, British Columbia. Our special guest again is Don Straub, a practicing clinical counselor who helps people struggling with everyday problems by giving them powerful, practical solutions.
1: Don is going to look at how to let go of deep hurt. Don, welcome again to It Is Written Canada.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Don, talk to us about deep hurt and forgiveness.
2: Most of us have experienced deep hurt at some time in our life. We maybe have been betrayed, lied to, cheated on, sexually molested, uh, maybe ripped off financially. It's, It's difficult and sometimes these deep hurts come at the hands of people that we trust and love the most, like a a parent or a partner or a sibling, sometimes even a church leader. When I was pastoring, I found that there were so many people that would come and they would leave the church because of some deep hurt by someone else in the church. These are always difficult things to deal with and getting people to forgive.
1: Don, have you had any personal experiences in your life of deep hurt and found it difficult to forgive?
2: I think, fortunately, I haven't had too many deep hurt experiences in my lifetime uh, until I did have one. So until then, I found it quite easy, quite natural to forgive. But when I was really deeply hurt at one time in my life, which I'm not going to go into today, it's in my book, I had an extremely difficult time forgiving. In fact, it wasn't until I was taking my master's degree in clinical counseling that I researched my way into forgiveness for these people. Because in that, in that study, the things that I studied, I came across some really interesting things about forgiveness and what it is. And so now as a counselor, I have a lot more empathy than I did as a pastor towards people that find it impossible to forgive. And now as a counselor, I help them to forgive because it actually is the cure to many of the mental illnesses, such as depression and anxiety and even bulimia is anorexia.
0: Isn't, um it's just a simple decision that we make. I mean, the Bible tells us to forgive. So it's kind of a command, so we make the choice and then we forgive.
2: It is a choice. But what I learned was it's not that one step choice that so many of us as Christians think. It's actually a process. It's a journey, it's a process of letting go. Uh, and, and it's a it takes sometimes years to finally get towards the end of that process. We're not God, we're not perfect, we don't perfectly forgive and just instantaneously. It is a process, often a lifelong process.
1: Why is it so difficult for some people to
2: forgive? The reason I believe is because of a lack of information, a lack of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. It can be confusing. I learned about forgiveness in a deeper way through a psychologist by the name of Robert Enright. Uh, Enright, who was around in the 70s doing research on forgiveness, started this process. He even founded the International Forgiveness uh, Organization, which actually has annual conferences, if you can believe it. I think a little bit of history would be helpful here, because there seems to be and has been historically kind of a rift between religion and psychology. It's because when psychology started, it started by people by Sigmund Freud. And these early psychologists were very anti-religion. They would say that religion was the cause of almost all mental illnesses. And so obviously Christians distanced themselves from the world of psychology. But somewhere in the early 70s, psychology became more of a science, like the other sciences, in which people would do double-blind studies to see exactly what did help people and what didn't help people, right? And that's where Enright came into play during the 70s. And during those years, they did some research and discovered this, that those people who believe in an accepting, loving, non-judgmental God had the least amount of mental illness. And get this, those people who believed in a judgmental, vindictive, angry God had the highest rate of mental illness even higher than people who did not believe in God at all.
1: So it's really important for us to have a clear picture and understanding about the character of God.
2: And that's what I love to share with people wherever I can. So Enright went on and he developed uh, some scientific ways of studying forgiveness. I'm not going to go into detail here, I do more in my book, but basically when you do scientific studies, you have to have what we call an operational definition. That way you can measure forgiveness. So he had to come up with a definition of forgiveness that could be measured. To keep it short, basically he measures forgiveness through a person's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors towards the person that injured them. And by putting this into a numerical system, he can measure forgiveness before therapy and after therapy. I do this with a lot of my clients. I will, I will measure their level of forgiveness using Enright's instrument before we do the therapy and then after the therapy do it again. And their forgiveness goes up and their mental health issues go down. So it's quite, quite amazing, quite scientific. You need to know that most of my clients do not come to me with a Christian background or any faith at all, and yet at the same time I can use forgiveness therapy. Enright discovered that every world religion has a concept of forgiveness, and even atheists kind of understand the concept. So I can teach forgiveness, even to to atheists. Now it's really helpful when I have Christian clients because then I can draw on the examples of Jesus who is the ultimate forgiver and how he's forgiven us. But with others, I I don't have that advantage, but I can still help people forgive and through that process find healing with their problems.
0: So Don, what is Enright's definition of forgiveness?
2: I'm going to read that uh, from my book here because it's a very technical definition. Enright basically says it this way, forgiveness is a willingness to abandon one's right to resentment, negative judgment, and indifferent behavior toward the one who unjustly injured us, while fostering the undeserved qualities of compassion, generosity, and even love toward him or her.
1: Well, oh, that's a lot to take in, Don. I wonder if you could please um, break that down for us.
2: It is a lot. So let's kind of take it like this. It's a willingness. And that comes back to the idea that it's a choice. It's our free choice to forgive or not. What we're doing is we're choosing to let go of anger, resentment, uh, judgment, all of this stuff even though we have a right to be angry. Remember, anger is an appropriate emotion when there's an injustice. The problem with that is that it's, it's an action signal to protect yourself or those you love in the moment, but years later it serves no purpose anymore. So even though we have a right to be angry, we choose to let go of our anger towards the person that injured us, and then that's only halfway. The other half says, and move towards love, compassion, generosity to this person, even though they don't deserve it. And when I think about that, isn't that kind of what God's forgiveness is? Really, he has a right to be angry. There's an injustice, right? It's very normal, it's very natural to, it's appropriate to be angered at injustice, but he chooses to move from his anger towards forgiveness, love, and compassion. But God, God does it naturally and freely, spontaneously even, because that's his character. i use a metaphor. Let's say that over here on this side of the street is a house. And this is the house of anger and bitterness and resentment and rumination and, and revenge, thoughts of revenge. And this is where I'm living. I'm living in this house. And it's not a comfortable place to live. It's a very painful place to live. On this side of the street is another house. It is a house of love and compassion, generosity. This is a beautiful place to live. A wonderful place to live. If I choose to live in this house, then this is my choice to live with this pain. But I can choose to move from this house into this house. But like anybody who knows when they move houses, it's not a Snap your fingers, wouldn't it be nice? Pictures on the walls, everything in the cupboards, just like that. It doesn't work that way. I move into this house one box at a time, maybe one piece of furniture at a time. Maybe sometimes those boxes don't make it all the way there. Maybe they end up in the middle of the street. The street represents a neutral place. I'm not angry, but I'm not really loving or compassionate either, right? The ultimate thing of forgiveness is to move from this place completely to this place. Now, like I said, that is a process, sometimes a lifelong process. But it's a wonderful process. But here's the truth. I have the key to that house. The key that unlocks my prison, sets me free, and opens up this house. Forgiveness is that key that I hold.
1: But Don, don't you have to tell the person that you are forgiving
2: that you have forgiven them? No, you don't really, because it's not about that person. It's about yourself. You're the one carrying the pain. You're the one letting go of the hurt and the pain. This person might be dead. They might be living somewhere that you can't even find them. They they may not even think they've hurt you, or they may be glad that they've hurt you. So it's about you letting go of your own pain, releasing yourself from your own prison. This is where I think we need to talk about what forgiveness is not. Now that we've looked at what it is, moving from anger to love, what is it not? Number one, it's not forgetting. You know, people say forgive and forget. You can't forget. That's impossible. Number two, forgiveness does not condone, excuse, justify, say it's okay. Not at all. If if it was excusable or justifiable, you wouldn't need to forgive. Uh, the next thing is forgiveness does not mean you can't have justice. Absolutely. If, if someone has raped somebody, we, there needs to be justice. We need to keep this person away from society so they don't go hurting someone else. You see, sometimes we can have forgiveness and justice. Sometimes we can have forgiveness and mercy. So mercy does not always have to go hand in hand with forgiveness. Now with God, it seems to go hand in hand. He has forgiveness and mercy for us. Forgiveness is also not trusting. That's a whole different process. Some people can't be trusted. Some people are too dangerous, too toxic to to trust. You have to earn trust. Trust has to be earned, so you don't have to rush back and start trusting this person. No, you don't. They have to earn that, and that takes experience over time, and that may never even happen. And the last thing is that forgiveness is not reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is a wonderful thing. It's, it's another thing, though. It's, it's, a, it's separate from forgiveness. In fact, before you can reconcile, forgiveness has to be the first step. But reconciliation may not happen because some people are too dangerous, too toxic to build a relationship with. Some people don't want to have reconciliation. It takes two people working together to work on this reconciliation process.
1: So Don, is there anything more that you can tell us about you as a counsellor facilitate this whole process of forgiveness with your clients?
2: Yes, you see, there's a whole lot more to forgiveness than just the simple act of forgiving. Remember, we're talking today about deep hurt, deep hurt. So what it's complicated because when people are hurt, that means they've been possibly deeply traumatized. And like in previous episodes, I've talked about how core wounds are the root of all the shame and, and, and the, the anger and, and our self-defeating behaviors or sins, right? So I want to heal the whole person. And, it's, and so I titled that Iceberg Model, like it's in my book, it's titled Freedom Through Forgiveness. Because forgiveness has to do with dealing with the trauma Also dealing with the negative beliefs that we come to believe about ourselves, the lies that we come to believe about ourselves due to this act of trauma, and the shame that we carry, letting go of that shame. So it's a process. So we have, as a trauma counselor, I have some very special therapies that I use to heal trauma. And then, of course, that therapy actually changes a person's feeling belief simultaneously. Like I said, I had very much difficulty forgiving some people that hurt me deeply. And intellectually, and the best I could up here, I did forgive and let go of my anger. However, in addition to that part of the hurt, I carried this trauma in my body. So if I would meet one of these people or go into a building where they were also there, My heart would race. I would get triggered. And I would feel pain in my body. It's that memory playing in my body. I couldn't get rid of that. Well, someone told me about trauma trauma therapy and a a counselor here in Kelowna that could help me. And I went to that person. And within minutes, it was gone. And I said to myself, Don, you got to get trained in this type of therapy. And four years later, I was able to get the training. But it was an amazing. It was just amazing to not just forgive, but to, to, to lose that pain in my body, that trauma pain. I think a little illustration might be a little better for people to understand. Like, let's just say that I am in a car accident, and the car accident was caused by another person who broke some rules of driving. It was their fault, so to speak. And let's say that during this accident, I injured my back, and I have now a permanent back pain. So the first thing might be to forgive this person, but that might be extremely difficult to do. I'm suffering the the consequences of this person's act. So, but I teach and I help my clients to forgive. But in addition to that, there's the back pain. That I can't help with. Most of the time, that's something that the doctors and you know, other professionals work with. But as a counselor professional, I can work with another aspect. Let's say not only do I have the back pain from that accident, but now I have a fear of driving in a car. It's just too much for me to get into a car. My heart races. I sweat. I, I hang on for dear life. It is painful to ride in a moving vehicle because of that trauma. Well this special trauma therapy that I can put people through erases those feelings, basically neutralizes them, and people can ride in a car again and not feel that way. So it's more complicated than just forgiving when it comes to counseling and trauma and hurt, deep hurt.
1: Don, we are are told that that God forgives us. How come it's so difficult for some people to really believe that.
2: It is true. You know, we can even know in our heads that God forgives us. But in our hearts we can't forgive ourselves. Until I came across that in my research, taking my masters in counseling, I never thought about self-forgiveness. I never thought it was a thing. But it is a thing. And, And the whole idea works like this. If someone hurts me, I become angry at them for what they did to me. And my forgiveness lets go of my anger towards them, and now I'm free of that anger and I have love and generosity for this person as a child of God. But what happens when I hurt somebody? Now, oh, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. So what am I doing? I am carrying all this anger towards myself. Day in and day out. And that anger is eating me up. It's causing me depression and anxiety. It's causing me to be angry at other people because this spills out on other people. It's toxic, this stuff. So I need to let go of my own anger towards myself. And that's self-forgiveness, you see. And that's often something that people have never thought of. And I find that people have the hardest time forgiving themselves than anything else. When I was in my early college years, I had this huge spiritual experience. And what really helped me solidify that spiritual experience was a pastor, Morris Fendon, who's passed away now. He came to our college campus and he did a series of meetings. In those meetings, I clearly remember a parable that he told. I keep using it with people over and over again through the years. He called it the parable of the Cadillacs. But, you know, I prefer Tesla, I'll never be able to afford one and I know they're not sold in car dealerships, but I'm going to use the word Tesla. So let's just say that one day I'm reading the newspaper and there's an advertisement and it says, five free Tesla will be given away to the first five people through our doors Monday morning. And I go, wow. So I take my sleeping bag and I go down to the dealership early in the afternoon, the day before, and I plant myself at the front door. Next morning, I'm awake and I'm the first one to go through that door and my Tesla is in my hands. And then I start looking at who the other four people are that are gonna get a free Tesla. And lo and behold, I know these people. Whoa, they're some real hypocrites. Terrible hypocrites in the community. And I start thinking about those hypocrites and the angrier I get, the more I think about them, the angrier I get. And I say, if that's the kind of people they're going to give a free Tesla to, I don't want one. And I pick up my sleeping bag and go home. And I'm sad to say that's how some people do it. They focus on the hypocrites in the church. And they focus on them so much they just say, well, if that's the kind of people that go to this church, I'm not coming and I pack up and go home. And unfortunately, under the same breath, they often say, Not just good by church, but good by God. Don't let the hypocrites keep you away from God. That's the message. Don't let them keep you away from God. I like to think of the church as a hospital for sick people. And if we can keep that perspective in mind, things can go better. What about God?
1: Didn't Jesus reconcile us to God on the cross? Well, let's
2: look at it this way. Both the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus were God's initiation or steps towards reconciliation. He did everything he could to set the stage for reconciliation. But remember, reconciliation requires two. And so now it's my part. I need to respond to that invitation. God wants to be my friend. It's my role now to be reconciled to God, accept His forgiveness, accept His grace, and accept that wonderful friendship that He wants with me. As we have always been saying, God has chosen to run His universe on the law of freedom and love. And the result of freedom has been a lot of pain in this world, a lot of suffering. And what I see the cross as is where God takes responsibility for the sin in this world. The cross teaches us three things. Number one, sin kills. It's it's the natural consequence of sin. We die due to sin. Number two, God loves us. He loves us Infinitely, more than we can imagine, for God so loved the world that He gave. And three, the cross teaches us our value and our worth. We are worth the life and the death of God Himself. That's how He values us. Now comes reconciliation. Remember the life and the death of Jesus was his way of initiating this process of friendship and reconciliation. Now it's our choice. It takes two. Our choice to enter into this friendship, to accept his salvation, to accept his friendship in this relationship. You know, theologians have had arguments for years over a single word in the Bible. One word, it's only found in one place, and it's the word atonement. And it's really not that hard to to understand. The spelling is at-one-ment. Atonement is God's design for us to be at one with him again, to be reconciled, to be at one. And this is what he says in my favorite verse in the Bible. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me being one with God, being his friend is his heart's desire for us. Let's let's make the illustration this way. Let's say that my arms are full with firewood right up to my chin and I'm struggling. And along comes God and he says, "Don, I want to give you something." Now this firewood represents my anger, my bitterness, my rumination towards this person, my thoughts of revenge and says God says, "Don, Drop the load, because I can't give you peace and joy and freedom. He's commanded me to drop the load so he can give me this other stuff, this better stuff. That's how I see God. He's a God of freedom and love.
0: That's so beautiful. Just to close on that note, that his commandment is to, to give us something better. Let go of what you're holding on to.
2: And we hold the key. It's called forgiveness.
0: Don, before we end, I wonder if you could
2: have a word of prayer. Sure. Father God, I want to thank you for your gift of forgiveness. So many of us don't see it as a gift because it seems so hard to do and so painful. But help us to understand this process as we go through life and to just let go and to find that peace and joy that you want to feel our hands with and our lives with. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Don, thank you so much for sharing with us on It Is Written Canada today.
2: You're very welcome, thank you.
1: Friends, forgiveness is a willingness to abandon your right to resentment, negative judgment and indifferent behavior towards one who has unjustly injured you while fostering the undeserved qualities of compassion, generosity, and even love toward him or her.
0: That is a very tall order, and we want to give you a chance to learn more about how forgiveness is possible by sending you our free offer today, which is Don Straub's book entitled Bridges to Freedom, Creating Change through Science and Christian Spirituality.
1: You can move closer to the Lord, get past your hurts and learn life lessons with the essential bridges to freedom described in this book.
0: Before you go, we would also like to invite you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel and also listen to our podcasts. And if you go to our website You can see our latest programs, including our cooking demonstrations, our short spiritual messages entitled Daily Living, and our exercise workouts called Experiencing Life.
1: We want you to experience the truth found in the words of Jesus when He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God.